So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Uh, David, I'm feeling uh, sober and, but not especially positive today. Have you ever had that that, that kind of day? The less positive sobriety podcast today. Yeah, Yeah. I've had that day where um, I feel like, okay, uh, whatever. (laughs) Those, Those come, you know? Yeah. 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 And I find it, you know, I try, this is something I try to manage uh-huh. and I, and it doesn't appear to be very manageable. Mm. Some days, you know, I just wake up in a positive frame of mind. Uh, uh, weather does heavily influence it, Yeah, but it doesn't explain my mood today because uh, I've already been out walking this morning. Uh, the sky is clear. Uh, all weather conditions are favorable for a real sunny mood. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm not in a pessimistic mood and I'm not about to become a sniper, but I feel, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I just a little bit under the way. So I'm hoping that uh, this conversation helps to turn it around. Well, you know what? I think it will um, because this is a guy I've known for a long time um, mm-hmm. and he's got a very... Um, a very encouraging story of recovery. And, um, you know, like all of us, uh, he, he danced around all the issues as, as we all do. But, um, but, but I'll tell you one thing that somebody told me, uh, on a time where I was experiencing a very, a prolonged version of what you're describing, not just like the the day thing, but they said, embrace, embrace the ambivalence. And Mm. I thought, well, you know, let's, really not that profound um but 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 honestly uh that's really that was really a a great piece of advice because i just kind of said okay today life doesn't have to be the oscars you know yeah Um, every day is not the red carpet and uh you know it today is just a very ordinary ordinary experience but guess what you're not living today like you were living today had you been doing it X years ago in other circumstances in other ways. And okay. so even in your ambivalence, Nate, um, you are still uh, miles ahead of the game. So are, are you telling me that my worst day sober is better than my best day acting out? That would be what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's get to this conversation then and see where the day goes. Absolutely. Okay, we'll be back in a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Uh, David, I'm going to let you introduce our guest today, uh, since you and he go back quite a ways. Yeah, I I appreciate that, Nate. Um, This is a friend of mine that... um, we go back uh, into my old life <laughs> when I was, uh, or former life, or whatever I want to call it, uh, when I was on a church staff. And mm-hmm. uh, Pax and Jean Cake is a worship leader, a musician, a songwriter, um, really talented guy, and um, he has a he has a new project that I want him to talk about that's uh, kind of born out of his story. But, uh, you know, we were, uh, we were engaged in music together in different 
ways, and and I'll let him kind of talk about that. But um, we shared a lot of things, and and uh, after a few years of knowing one another, we realized we shared a few more things. <laughs> 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 and uh and so uh one day i got a call from paxton and uh and it was not like our usual conversations and so i'm gonna let him kind of unpack his story but paxton welcome to the podcast and thanks yeah. again for just being willing and vulnerable to share your reality because i think there are a lot of people in our listening uh audience who share um being in full-time uh, ministry, Christian work, being a paid Christian or whatever we want to call it, um, and having a lot of personal things that feel really incongruent with uh, what we believe our our values and, and belief systems to be able to accommodate, and therefore we feel disingenuous and um, shame and all that stuff. And so I want you to share with us just kind of, uh, your story and where you are now. Tell us about the, um, I want to talk about the project and uh, how people can get that stuff and all that. So welcome to the podcast and um, how'd you get here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, David, uh, thank you so much. And, and Nate, it's, uh, I feel like you guys are my people, you know, and, uh, <laughs> my tribe. This is one of my tribes. And I, I listen to you guys regularly uh, listen, love this podcast, and, oh. and uh, yeah, David and I go way back. I was I was sharing with him before we got started that I knew of him uh, back in 1998 um, uh, at a as a worship conference actually back way back when, and then uh, but we've been yeah good friends for about 12, 12 or so years now. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'll kind of share you know where I was, what happened, and and where I am now. Kind of try yeah. to do that maybe in a nutshell. Um, right. I've, I've heard that. I've heard that outline before. That. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of a good, you know, longstanding framework for yeah, 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 yeah. those of us that have, that have been had a few times in the rooms. And um, yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, just real briefly, I, I grew up in a small town in South Carolina, uh, Aiken, South Carolina, and um, had a good, you know, good family growing up. But my folks did divorce when I was about eight years old. Um, I have a uh, four-year older sister, and um, so for 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 a good while there, you know, I would visit my dad every other weekend, sort of thing, or you know, he'd come to ball games, baseball games, and that sort of thing. But uh, things changed for sure when I was when I was eight years old. But I didn't feel like I really felt the effects of it till maybe four years later. And so I grew up. Um, uh, I would say in a in a we went to church. Um, my sister actually was the one one day early on that said, you know, maybe we should start going to church as a family. <laughs> and, uh, so we started going to a Town Creek Baptist Church there in, in Aiken, South Carolina. I also, however, was attending um, an Episcopal elementary school. So I was getting a good dose. You know, I, I would go on Sunday and youth group that, or Sunday school, that sort of thing. Um, but twice a week uh, at the elementary school, we'd have chapel. And so that was that was formative for to me also musically because we would. Uh, sing these rich Anglican hymns. We were using the Book of Common Prayer. So I had kind of a mix of um, church experience, if you will. And um, mm-hmm. and also my last name, some people wonder where it came from a Greek name. Uh, so when my wow. grandfather, my grandfather sailed over from Greece as a boy in the early 1900s, and it was Yenokikis, G-I-A-N-O-K-A-K-I-S. And wow. it, yeah, it changed when he got to Brooklyn in school and they uh, changed the spelling to Gene Cake because it, it looked like Genocacus. But I say that to say once a year, also growing up, I would go to the Greek Orthodox Church uh, with oh, my wow. yeah, my Greek grandmother um, at least once a year. And so we were I was exposed to different um, forms of the faith, if you will. But uh, but kind of the main thing there was uh, growing up at, at the Baptist Church. Um, but it was when I hit when I was 12. Um, I went from this private, small, you know, Episcopal school into public middle school. Um, I was going through puberty and my dad remarried. Um, and so I think that the kind of the collision of all those things, that's that was a season, seventh, eighth, ninth grade for me, where I kind of um, rebelled a little bit. <laughs> you know, and, and I think I think honestly what was going on is I was trying to just process 
a lot of changes that were taking place. We also um, moved out of the home that I'd spent, you know, a number of years as a, as a child into a, a condo. So just a lot of changes for a 12 year old boy. And I think there was also just kind of a wound that maybe was established around that time where I think at that, in that season of my life where many things were sort of chaotic. Um, I think I was wanting to draw closer in some ways, like to my dad. And I think my perception, at least not, not that it was necessarily reality, but my perception a little bit was that he was sort of moving away a little bit. You know, he was just starting a new marriage. And so there was, there was a lot of change, but, but my first, um, taste of alcohol, my first drink to get drunk was when I was in seventh grade. And man, I mean, I'm sure David, I know you can relate to this, that first kind of taste and buzz from alcohol really really settled me and, and caused a kind of disposition that was very attractive to me. You know, it, I didn't warm hug from God. That's what I, yes. And, um, I, I mean, I spent a few years there where I would, you know, as an adolescent, you know, getting drunk at, at different times and in different ways. I kind of sowed my wild oats, so to speak, at kind of that earlier age in seventh and eighth, ninth grade. Um, but I went on, finished high school. I mean, did well academically and in sports. Actually, drinking wasn't a part of my life there through high school much and even in college. Uh, but once I got out of school, uh, out of college, and I was actually living in Nashville, I found myself uh, keeping the, keeping the fridge stock with, with a six pack of beer or so, you know, uh-huh. and, and it, I didn't see it as a necessarily a problem at the time. I think, um, just having a beer or two or three, you know, in the evening, um, it was something my dad would do. My dad's not an alcoholic, but he would drink from time to time, but, um, got married, uh, my, I took my first full-time worship leader position in, in 1998, uh, in Ocala, Florida. And just prior to that, actually, I had a severe hand injury and um, won't go into the uh, long story of that. But basically, I was a single guy. Um, my my girlfriend at the time who would become my wife, but she lived in Birmingham, eight hours away. Um, I think I was dealing with some loneliness and I think I was feeling a bit handicapped with the hand injury as now a full time worship leader. So it was, it was a very interesting season, guys, you know, because I had left kind of one call career path uh, to enter a, a totally different one mm. at the time in 98. And I felt handicapped and I felt like now that there were greater expectations on me since I was doing this quote full time, you know, vocationally. Mm-hmm. And that's when I, and I started drinking again during that season. Um, so I'm leading worship, you know, on Sundays, but, but I'm dipping into the, the alcohol. And at that point it was just beer, you know, it would just be beer. Um, and it wasn't necessarily daily, but it was regular. Yeah. Um, well, we moved. So Alice and I got married there when we were in Ocala. We moved to Atlanta, Georgia, to a, to a, a different church at that time in, in 2000. And the beer drinking uh, stayed with me, but I tried to keep it hidden from Allison. And I think at this point, I knew, you know, this is this isn't right. You know, like when you start hiding uh, in that sort of way, mm-hmm. yeah. hiding your addiction. Yeah. And and so I would so my kind of M.O. would be I'd, I'd work all day. uh go for a, a workout. You know, I, I, I'm a runner, so I like to run. And then I'd get like a 16 ounce or maybe two 16 ounces, um, drink them in my car uh, before I went home. And it was just enough to kind of get that little extra buzz after the endorphin high from running. Even, mm, you know? Yeah. Um, well, interestingly, in, in January of 2001, so I did kind of realize, you know, I don't want this to be a part of my life. I don't want this and so I, but at that point, I just switched one addiction for another. And I really just went headfirst into m- more rigorous exercise. I got into um, triathlons and, and started. And so I just kind of switched addictions and yeah. um, never really, never really faced my, my drinking. And um, we actually had a guy in our small group at the time. We were leading a small group and he was an alcoholic. And I remember at that point around 2003, 2004, so I was sober. Um, but I remember sharing with Allison a bit of what my drinking had looked like prior to us getting married. And even then during the early years of our marriage, cause she, she wasn't aware of, of that. And, um, but then for an alcoholic, you know, slowly the drinking kind of crept back in and it might be initially drink, having a beer or two at dinner on Friday night, you know, with Allison or 
that sort of thing. Uh, and at this point too, we, we have children, we've got two girls, so they're, they're very young at this point. But, um, so I came home one day guys and Allison, uh, she smelled beer on my breath and she said, have you been drinking again? And I was honest. I said, I, yes, I have, but I wasn't ready to stop. And so this, this was a real turning point. This was around 2007, maybe 2008. And I did and switched to what I felt like was what real alcoholics drink. And that was like bourbon, (laughs) rum, you know, that sort of thing. And so I found myself going into the liquor store and initially it would just be like a little hundred mil bottle of, of Jack Daniels or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would still, I'd work all day. Um, I'd, I'd, you know, uh, work out and then I'd mix it, have a mixed drink on the way home privately in my car, you know, mm-hmm. and, and hide all the evidence. And, um, so at this point too, we, um, I got, we felt like we transitioned from the church there in Atlanta and we felt called to California. So we moved out to a Sac- Sacramento area to a town called Roseville, just East of, uh, Sacramento. And we're at a church there. Great church, great season of life. But Right before we moved out, you know, it was another one of these points where I was like, Lord, I don't want this drinking to follow me out to California. Like, I want a fresh start with this, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, my the, the girls flew out, but I drove. I'd always wanted to drive cross country. And so I drove out, drove out uh, with my guitars and uh, with our dog and some of my belongings. And um, halfway through the trip, I stayed sober. But one of the triggers for me would be um, rigorous exercise. You know, I'd like... Mm-hmm having that drink after a long run, that sort of thing. Well, I spent two nights in Flagstaff because I'd always wanted to take in the Grand Canyon. So um, went hiking, you know, one one day there out um, in, in the Grand Canyon. And on the way back, um, stopped to get gas. And out west, there's liquor, you know, they just, it's all over the place, you know. Yeah. And it was very, anywhere, right? you know, it was very accessible, you know, different kind of from the from the Bible Belt. And um, I found myself getting a, you know, half pint of, I don't know, rum, Jack Daniels, whatever it was. And basically, guys, from that point in 2008 until November 24th of 2013, I was a daily drinker. Um, I started the church there in California. And like I said, for the first three years, you know, I was highly functional. I mean, it was a, it was a great season, but I had this very compartmentalized, very hidden part of my life where I would uh, drink. And so what started as, you know, a couple of 16 ounce beers to hard liquor became half a pint, a pint a day. Plus for a few years, um, I would, I would keep our refrigerator stocked with beer so that as soon as I got home, I could take, you know, suck a couple of those down to try to mask the the liquor breath that I had. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I would have regularly a half a pint or so plus several beers, you know, um, every night. And, um, uh, so that, like I said, that went on until, till maybe around 2011, uh, 2012. And I'd say the last couple years were just hell. And, and, and there were some, there were, I won't go into detail, but there was a professional kind of uh, issue at our church and a personal issue in my extended family that, that caused me to leak if you will, you know, it caused, caused my emotions to kind of come out more. My, I was drinking more and I would, uh, at times drunk, you know, call, uh, drunk text, uh, <laughs> drunk email, drunk call. Sometimes I would, I, there were a couple of occasions where I'd show up at someone's house. And so what I found is I had these resentments in my heart and with the liquor, uh, in a state of intoxication, those, perhaps low level resentments or things that could be talked, maybe more talked talk through rationally became a source of almost like rage for me. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I never did anything physical, but just the verbal um, conversations I would have, you know, with people were, were ugly. Um, and so I would, I, at times I'd call up family members or friends and, and just kind of ambush them in a way because they didn't, they didn't know that I had this stewing and this erratic conversation would begin. And so anyway, long story short, uh, on two, on November 24th of 2013, um, Allison had had enough. She, she, she had put a stop to the beer drinking at home, but she didn't know that there was a lot of, you know, liquor drinking prior to that, prior to coming home. Right. And um, so she couldn't understand why her husband was so angry at times, you know, and, um, 
I will, I will say too, so uh, that summer, we would travel back east to see family once a year. And uh, the summer of 2013, I found myself back in my hometown and we were in uh, Books A Million uh, with, with my mom, with my girls, with Allison. And uh, I just was walking up and down the, the book aisles. You know, I was sober at the time. And I remember coming across the book Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was like, huh, I've never actually seen that before or, you know, dipped into that. And so I was look, looking over my shoulder, but I pull, pulled it off the shelf and kind of started to flip through it, uh, put it back and no lie, walked it to, a, to the Christian book section, you know, a minute, oh, yeah. a minute later. Yeah. <laughs> but, but Nate, here's what happened. I'm, so I'm looking there and I'm looking at the spine of this book called Sober Mercies, How Love Caught Up with a Christian Drunk. Oh, wow. So here I was within the span, literally of a couple of minutes, I, I browsed through the book, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, and was now looking at this book called Sober Mercies. And that caught my attention. And I was like, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm getting the message here. And, and I think that began the journey to November 24th. And God bless Heather Kopp. She wrote the book Sober Mercies. Yeah, I'm familiar and, with that book. Yeah. Yeah. And she and I have actually emailed over the years, but that was one of the things that I'm convinced that God used to help me see, okay, this is this is a real problem. Because up to that point, I'd say the last year and a half or to two years of my drinking career, um, there was a cycle, a daily cycle of waking up in the morning and praying, God, keep me sober today. Keep me sober today. At some point, that, that impulse would hit. I'd have no recourse. I'd find myself there in the liquor store. I'd be buying a bottle. I'd go back for another bottle. Um, I would drunk call. Um, I'd get home. I'd be, you know, at least not present with my family fully. At worst, you know, getting into an argument with Allison. Uh, sobering up at some point during the night. And at this point, too, I, I mean, I would drink to blackout most nights that last six months or year, trying to remember what happened thinking, oh my God, who do I have to apologize to? Falling back to sleep, waking up, praying God keep me sober. That cycle, that hellish cycle went on for for a long time. Um, And finding Heather's book, and then finally on November 24th, (laughs) what had happened is that was a Sunday, and after leading worship and and having probably a pint or so or more of alcohol, I drunk texted both of our pastors. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh yeah. Lord. Yeah. Yeah. And so Allison actually providentially, her mother, my mother-in-law was coming in to visit with us uh for for about 9 days and um but she had received call a call from one of our pastors saying, you know, I'm getting these erratic texts from from Pax and what is everything okay? And so when she got home she she began to call me out on this. You know what are what are these awful texts that you're, you've been sending? And I was just being a jerk, you know, just being defensive and that sort of thing. And guys, she I'll never forget it. She put her hands up in the air, and she prayed out loud, and she said, "Dear God, whatever is keeping this man from seeing his sin, I pray that she brought all three down." She said, "I pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you would help it to come out." Wow. And she prayed that. She turned. And then I threw up all over our coffee table. <laughs> oh, man. And as I sat there staring at this nasty rum and coke vomit, I thought, this is it. This is the moment I have utterly feared and utterly longed for all at the same time. Mm. And she said, she looked at me. And the first thing she said was, you're going to clean that shit up. <laughs> and, uh, and I did. And this is all after church, right? Am yeah, I still in the timeline? Day after me with Jean Cake home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she she looked at me and she said, Pax and Jean Cake, you are not well. And I said, I know. And she said, she said, you looked gray, d- deadish gray. And I actually mm-hmm. heard, I've seen that description by others, you know, t- t- uh, describing a, a spouse or a loved one that's, mm-hmm. you know. And And I said, I know. I know. And y'all, I went back to our bedroom. I threw up more in our bedroom, you know, bathroom mm-hmm. toilet. Mm-hmm. And she came into the room. She had to go tell her mom, you know, mom, I, I don't know what's going on. Paxton's drunk, blah, blah, blah. And now here's where, here's where the grace of God comes in. 
because I could have yet again BS my way through this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but I actually a few weeks prior to the vomiting, <laughs> I, had, I had actually on another Sunday, just a few weeks prior, again, having read Heather's book, having been I, I started to tell people even I think I'm an alcoholic, but but I was no but I was not ready to to really come clean yet. And I remember sewing up one Sunday night and I called out to Allison from our bedroom um, and I was ready to kind of tell her, but she never came back. And I realized later uh, she said, oh, yeah, she said, I heard you call him a name. She said, but I just thought he's just, you know, whatever. If he really wants, if he needs to talk to me he can come out here and talk to me, you know. So um, but that led to then this Sunday. Uh, she came back in the room. I had been throwing up some more and I remember taking her by the arms and I said, I love you. I need help. I drink every day. And in that moment, it was like something broke. You know what I mean? Like something spiritual, uh, just just the the lying, the hiding, all that just broke. And And I've heard other people say this, that in my mind, I thought, oh, you can't tell anybody. You know, like I just remember thinking, if you tell anyone, life will be over. You know, whether it was the the the, the amount of shame and whatever that, that you're going to experience would just be unbearable, you know. But the complete opposite happened. Um, she began to just kind of stroke my shoulder. You know, I think she took a gasp, you know, kind of like. Mm-hmm. But all in that moment for her, all the dots connected. And she said, we're, we're going to get you help. Now, she didn't say, you know, it's all going to be OK. She didn't do the codependent thing, you know, <laughs> but she said, we're going to get you help. Um, and so the next day I took my butt to the to a 12 step recovery group. Um, when 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 kind of the time, you know, was came to me, I, I raised my hand. And I said, my name's Paxson. I'm an alcoholic. This is day one. And uh, it'll be seven years this coming November that I've been sober. Um, November 25th of 2013 was my sobriety date. And I, uh, man, I'll be forever grateful uh, to the rooms for my sponsor, for that that early fellowship, that first year of sobriety and recovery in Northern California. And um, I got a sponsor. He began to walk me. We, We would meet in Panera Bread each each week, sometimes twice a week in the morning, we began to work through the steps. He guided me through the steps. You know, I began to realize all of these resentments that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that working the fourth and fifth step for me was life changing, you know? Yeah. It was life changing. And um, so I, I don't know, I can pause right there. I mean, that's kind of brings you up to kind of where I was <laughs> and what happened. <laughs> but um, any, any, any comments or questions from you guys? Well, I, I, I'm curious as to how this then affected your work. I know that, mm-hmm. for, and uh, kind of your spiritual life. I know that for me, although uh, my addiction was is different, so sex addiction, but I'm still in that manic uh, acting out, you know, cycle, all that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, and then just huge relief of finding that I'm not alone and finding mm-hmm. help finding and, and starting to do the step work. Bef- uh, the, the, those final years of hidden behavior where I'm still publicly very active in church and in leadership, um, feeling like such a fraud. Any spiritual life I had was uh, on life support. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's almost as though like faith got re vivified and redefined, Mm -hmm. uh, through my experience in the rooms The church changed. Mm -hmm. Did you have similar experience? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, well, so I want to say too, you know, it was, it was on day five. So you can imagine, I mean, and, and, you know, and for for those listeners that maybe are still in the throes of this, it was hard for me to imagine. I'd reached that point where I couldn't imagine continuing to drink, but I couldn't imagine not drinking. Right. You know what I mean? Like it it was this caught between a rock and a hard place kind of place, kind of place. But yeah, then getting sober and, but it was on day five, that Alice and I called David 
And um, mm. as David said earlier, you know, we knew we had the worship in common, you know, and music and writing yeah. and all that. But little did he know, you know, we had all this alcoholism in common as well. And um, David, my brother, I will never, I mean, to this day, and I know I've I think reminded you of this, but I can't tell you how spiritually powerful and just powerful in general it was when we called David and we just put him on speakerphone. And as soon as you started talking and and David has, dude, you have such a way of meeting people right where they are. You Mm. have a great way of empathizing with, with, with people. And as soon as you started to speak, we just both teared up. I mean, and, and um, because we knew that you understood where we were. You know, you and you knew you knew the path before us, but you. I remember you said, "Just keep it simple." You know, just keep things simple and all that. But um, oh, Nate, yeah, I mean, it opened so that last year too. I put on thirty five pounds. At, I'm a runner, like I said, but I had lost something that had been very life giving to me for years. I, I had quit running. Alcohol had literally become my new master, and it 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 it, uh, it took away joy. It took away all the things in my life that were that had brought joy and that were life giving. Um, I look back in my journals. I've always been a journal, you know, have journaled. There's not hardly a word written for for a couple years. I think from 2011 through 2013, um, mm-hmm. I had just stopped living in one sense. I, I tell people I felt like my soul was just dying. It was like a slow death. But as yeah. um, yeah. coming clean and being honest began a journey into into just new life. I mean, life yeah. once again. And I'll tell you guys, I think you'll understand this, and I'm sure a lot of listeners will. I first had to learn, forget being a, a, a better Christian or a Christ, I first had to learn how to be a human being again. Yeah. I had to learn, and some of the things I learned that I'm a human being even before I, I'm a Christian in a sense, okay. you know, and, oh, yeah. you know? yeah, and, and just soul care and, and all that. Um, but I'll, I often tell people, so, so there was a, you know, the church, they were so gracious and, and they, they put a care team around me and, and, and Allison, um, Allison, I had been seeing a marriage counselor, but of course I had been leaving out this little detail in our marriage counselor. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I also drink every day. That could be part of our problem but i also saw an addictions counselor god bless her um once a week Uh um i went to a 12-step group and then even a little bit later a few months into uh my recovery alice and i both actually i don't know if you guys have heard of uh, the genesis process um yes it's uh it, it, it it i love it because it combines um you know biblical a biblical kind of paradigm but also with good science and brain understanding you know david you I hear you guys talk about, and you've done sessions about the limbic system and the, you know, right. um, hypothalamus, all that kind of stuff. Um, it, it it brings that into play. But so Alice and I did the Genesis process. Uh, she did. She was part of a ladies group, but we we worked it to uh, in parallel, in other words. But it gave us a common recovery vocabulary. You know, she was hearing me talk about the twelve steps, but she couldn't is, relate to that as much. But with the Genesis language, we both had a. Re- recovery language. We would oftentimes, when there's something like that we would do that we didn't fully understand or whatever, we'd say, yeah, that's probably limbic, you know, like <laughs> 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 for us, you know, and, and yeah. even with the, uh, my addictions counselor, one of the things that she showed me was a feelings chart or like a just oh. piece, of pa- piece of paper on one side, negative feelings on the other, another, like positive feelings. I mean, it's kind of like, duh, but, but I had found that my ability to articulate articulate how I feel had become kind of like muscles that I had hadn't exercised in years yeah. you know what I mean? yeah. so if someone asked me well how do you feel well I might go into some long thing about a description or she said just I'm just looking for a word you know mm-hmm. yeah feeling and so we put that uh, chart on our refrigerator and we would use it with our girls you know we it became kind of a fun exercise but but yeah. I, here's how I describe it, though, too, Nate, going back to your question a bit about coming back to life and that sort of thing and the spirituality. What I found in the way I would t- describe it to people, particularly like my Christian friends, is I have my recovery fellowship and I have my Christian community. And there's just a beautiful overlap between the two. In other words, for me, I, and I never, I never have experienced, I mean, I'm 47 years old. I've never had like a crisis of faith. I've always 
had my faith in God. Now I may not, in, you know, in ways exercised that, you know, or lived in that way, but I've never doubted God. I've never, you know, and I would often pray like, God, I know you can heal me of this. Um, and it, now looking back, I know that he was just kind of like laughing thing. Yeah, I'm going to, I, I have the power to do this and I'm going to do this just not in the way that you want me to, which is kind of a quick, you know, way where you're not exposed and you're not having to deal with these internal issues and resentments. Just zap um, you, zap you sober, so to speak. Exactly. For me, that's yeah. not the way it happened. But, yeah. but um, to me, the, the steps in my recovery fellowship, they just put teeth into my faith. I mean, guys, I feel like I feel a sense of God's presence sometimes more palpably in the rooms of recovery, or at least equally as I do Talk to me. As, yeah, as I do in times of you know sweet and pow- powerful worship in church. I mean, it's just it is as a context where it has never been a contradiction in my life or a juxtaposition. It has only served to to strengthen my faith. In fact, fact. When I got sober, I specifically wanted to go into the type of re- the rooms of recovery that I that I went to because I wanted to hear the four letter words. I wanted the raw, <laughs> real experience of, of sobriety and the 12 step recovery because I felt like I had been in kind of a bit of an insulated, you know, church staff bubble. I wanted to intentionally get out of that. And I'll just tell you part of what happened. I was thinking about this and knowing that we we're doing this interview. In some ways, the 12 steps in recovery has had kind of deconstructed some of the language of my faith and just kind of built it back with fresh language. You know, it's the same, very same principles. But in other words, instead of saying like, well, you just need to trust God more or put your faith more, that might be a typical thing you'd hear one Christian tell another. Well, in the rooms, guy, there was, I'll never forget, there's a guy, Vince. He was one that he was an old timer, and honestly, he kind of sounded a- angry when he shared. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> I think I've met him. <laughs> I mean, there's you know, there's all these characters, just great characters in the rooms. But I'll never forget one time after it was after the meeting actually, and we were I was walking out, and Vince kind of yelled across the room. He goes, "Paxson," and he said, "Do you think God would bring you all this way?" only to drop you on your ass. <laughs> and, I said, and I laughed and I said, no, Vince, I don't. And do you know that I, when I'm like in a situation where I feel a little bit of anxiety, my heart, heart beat, you know, or, you know, mm-hmm. starts to feel my heart rate increasing. I think about, I don't, I don't think I just need more faith. I think, do you think God would bring you all this way only to drop you on your ass? In other words, the, the language and the experience of recovery for me Though the principles are the same, the language was fresh. The language spoke to me in an unadulterated, unfiltered way that was so refreshing. Yeah. And um, so, Jackson, I, do you did you experience um, uh, pushing back a little yeah. bit on the Christianese yeah. that you did here? Because I remember being really, really early in my sobriety, and I was in a uh, meeting with pastors yeah. and they, uh, they didn't know yet that, um, I drank, um, <laughs> or that I had been, you know, had an issue. And I waited till I was like a year sober to even tell them, you know, all that stuff, you know, yeah. my story. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, I remember one of the pastors saying one day, uh, he said, well, you'll just have to collapse on the cross. And I said, <laughs> I looked at him and I said, what? I don't know what in the hell you just said. And I don't know what it means. And, you know, I've been on staff for X years and I sit here and I hear these things. I don't know what you said. I don't know what it means. I don't even know how to apply that. And all I know is, you know, and, and so I just, I, I don't know if you experienced the, the, I probably wasn't as graceful as you probably are <laughs> about it, but um, do you, did you sense this feeling when you did hear the Christianese, so to speak, coming at you that you really wanted people to unpack what they mean instead of just resting on these easy platitudes that we say just so that we can kind of get through the awkward conversation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there was some of that. I, I think, um, yeah, and I, I think, I, I think, um, you know, I just where, where I've experienced it more, David. I think I, what I, I think want to say into this is I've I found in the rooms uh, both dynamics. In other words, there are times 
where I'm sitting in the rooms and I feel like some folks are bashing the, their church experience, you know, and, right. yeah, yeah. I, and that's, listen, I hear that, you know, I hear and God bless them. I mean, there are many, I'm sure that are out there that have walked away from the church because of spiritual abuse, you know? But yeah. You know, I mean, it's a real thing, right? Sure, sure. That just simply has not been, that hasn't been my experience. Mm-hmm. And so even as I share, you know, sometimes in the rooms, I mean, I don't, I respect, you know, that, um, I just respect kind of the, the you know, I, I, I think through what or, you know, what I'm going to say and what I don't say. You know, in other words, I, I try to respect where people are, but I'm not I'm not, you know, afraid to say, you know, my, my experience with God has has been it's been a good experience. You know, I, but 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 on the other hand, I, I do. I've had Christians that really where I felt it, David, in other words, has been more the Christians that really have a bad taste and view towards the 12 steps, you know, they, they, they just don't, they just can't get, they think it's just it, that it's, you know, leading people to, to the wrong higher power or just, yeah, j- just a lot of things in that way. And, and all I can say is, you know, that just hasn't been my experience. You, you know what I mean? So, so I yeah. on both sides, both in the rooms and in the church. Um, I, I, I try to speak into that. Now I will say for the most part, uh, and certainly where I am now at, at, um, at our church here in, in Palm Bay, Florida, the leadership is behind, you know, what I do. And, and in yeah. fact, about three years, or just over three years ago, we started a, you know, a Christ-centered, but a Christ-centered 12-step recovery ministry here at our church. Mm-hmm. And, and for the most part, people, have, you know, are behind it. But there are some still that, that are a little skeptical um, and some that are honestly kind of have been more antagonistic. That, that, mm-hmm. you know, so, but I will, but going back to David, to, uh, I did have, I'll never forget. There was a guy on our, on my care team in California and I'll never forget one day he said, well, when are you going to, um, when are you going to get into something, uh, more spiritual or, or how, how are you going to grow spiritually though from here? Oh, <laughs> wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, yeah. And I really, I didn't, I, it was hard. It's just hard to explain if you haven't experienced it. But I tried to. I think you know. Tried to put before him. You know, my experience with the twelve steps and in recovery groups and my fellowship is spiritual. It, it's been as spiritual as the small groups and Bible studies that I've been a part of all my life. You know, yeah. in, in yeah. some ways more spiritual. You know, but. Um, so yeah, I, I I wanted to reference too. I know you guys had Teresa McBean and I think her son on the show. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And Nate, that's where I was mentioning. I first heard you speaking at that uh, National Association of Christian Recovery (NACR), the regional conference yeah. we had in Nashville yeah. years ago. Yeah. But I got their book Bridges to Grace. She co-authored that. Teresa did some years back. Mm-hmm. And um, but I remember talking to Teresa at that conference because it was right before I, I launched our recovery ministry here at Covenant. Um, but I'll never forget a, a phrase that she used because I, I was sharing with her and she said, oh yeah. She said, you're bilingual. She said, you'll be fine. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> and that, that was, that, I appreciated that from her. But what I, what I heard in that and what I kind of my paraphrase of that is, um, I enjoy speaking the language to people in recovery and that get the 12 steps and speak that language. And I also enjoy and can speak to people that, that speak Christianese. You know what I mean? That, yeah. that they, they, uh, and, and I guess um, it doesn't usually frustrate me. I, I just, um, I see them as, you know, well-intentioned, but for the most part, maybe, you know, um, yeah. people that just, they haven't had the same story that I have and their experience yeah. has been different, but it doesn't negate their own walk and all that. But, but I, I'm just grateful. And I feel like God has given me kind of this unique platform where you know, on a given day of the week, I'm I'm rubbing shoulders and hugging folks that, man, have been to some rough places, you know, <laughs> with names like Clutch, you know, or uh, <laughs> uh, whatever, you know, and, um, uh, and I love those people. I love those people. And at the same time, I can be with more, you know, more Christian church, churchy looking people. And I love those people as well. And um, yeah. yeah. Well, Paxson, you've got a project I want you to get to tell us a little bit about before we have to get away yeah. here. And yep. um, so so this all, um, you know, as with most of us creative uh, 
people um, culminated in some art. And yeah. tell us, tell us about yeah. the project. Yeah. Well, I'll uh, let me just wrap up the rest of that story. This is a good segue into the project. But I did. I was uh, let go from the church there in California. So we went. I went six months. Uh, I kind of refer to it as like my sabbatical year. So basically, <laughs> the year, 2014. You know, the, there November of 2013 to to December of 2014. But um, six months with the phrase was hope with uncertainty. In other words, they knew. I mean, they're trying to navigate because I think this is important for listeners too. What to do with a church staff member? who's just come out as an alcoholic. Right. I mean, that's, that's a, it's not an easy situation to navigate, but um, at the end of the day, I was let go at the end of May of 2014. And then the latter six months, um, I mean, I still was working my recovery and all that, but I went into job search and I'll just cut to the chase on that. But basically we went all the way up to the point where um, we had, we had kind of been interviewing with a church in North Carolina, but at the end of the day, it it didn't work out. Um, and, and on one hand, I thought, um, okay, God, I, I know you've got to close the door, you know, to open open the right door, that sort of thing. But at the same time, I was like, damn, you know, I feel like I got to start back at square one again, you know. But man, we just did what's become a mantra for me. I just did the next right thing, right? Yeah. The next right thing, one day at a time. Uh, and so we took our girls to In N Out Burger, broke the no- news to them. We came back to our home there in, in California, and Alice and I both got on our computers, and we both were looking at the same job opportunity, and it was a church in Palm Bay, Florida. It's the church I'm at right now. Um, I, I sent a general email, um, you know, info at Covenant or whatever it was, but then I saw, thought, you know what? The better way is to send it to the, to the senior pastor. You know, that's how things really happen. So I emailed the pastor. He emailed me back. We kind of volleyed back and forth with a couple of emails. And then he just said, can I give you a call, whatever? And I told him why I was in transition. And it was the most beautiful thing. You know, he said, isn't it a shame that, you know, so often we kind of, you know, we preach the gospel and that sort of thing. But as soon as one of our own has a moral failure, we kick him out the door. You know, and now mm-hmm. that, that's not, I'm not saying that's what happened to me, but he could at least, he was, he was empathizing with my situation and was basically communicating, man, we, we'd love to, we're open to to exploring and interviewing you. So anyway, long story short, we came out. Um, so the, ch- the church here knows our story. Um, everyone here knows, knows our story. We've been open about it and all that. But um, when, when we came here, I mentioned earlier about losing things. Well, one of the things guys I felt and was, it was one of those things I kind of feared. I've heard you guys on the podcast talk with other writers and that sort of thing and artists. I wasn't sure if I was still gonna, going to be able to be creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, uh, basically, long story short, I mean, I found that I, I kind of got my voice back again. Uh, yeah. That first the first little bit of music I wrote was was a new chorus to the the old hymn, All Hail the Power of Jesus Name. You know, mm-hmm. so it's a track on the project called We Crown You. And it was just a it was a it was just a chorus that came. I, I was just kind of singing the, the song and immediately that chorus came to my mind. But basically, over the past five years here in Florida, you know, I, oftentimes I'll get a tune or a lyric going as on, when I'm on a run, when I'm just strumming a chord progression, that sort of thing. But yeah, we, Alice and I just finished our sixth studio recording. Um, it's called You Keep Hope Alive. And uh, it's got, you know, 10 original tracks on it. And uh, it's been such a milestone. I shared it, I shared it with David, you know, recently, but it's just a something that we just celebrate, you know, as God still being faithful in our lives, still having me called to full-time worship ministry, writing and sharing songs with our church. But there's one track, David, in in particular, I just wanted to highlight, and it's a song called Feel. Mm. And it's actually one that Allison, you know, she thought, is this appropriate for a a worship project? And I kind of, I kind of, in my mind thought, well, I hope the hell it is, because (laughs) (laughs) in other words, I think I sure think so. And and so the the way and there are two songs on the project that were initially I wrote in California, but then finished, you know, here. But um, this one started actually in the rooms of recovery, I would say within the first couple weeks of my sobriety. And as it's very common, a person was sharing, a girl was sharing. She began to tear up. She, she and I actually shared the same days of sobriety we, we kind of found come into the rooms around the same time mm. and um 
so there's, you know, there's a bond there uh, when you're raising your hand. And it's like, you know, Paxson, this is day 14, or whatever it is. So, but she was sharing this particular day. She began to tear up and a lady walked over with a box of tissues. And I'll never forget. She said, I don't want those. She said, I don't want to stuff these tears. I've been stuffing, oh, yeah. I've been stuffing these tears my whole life. And mm-hmm. as a songwriter, I just kind of tucked that lyric, that tucked that phrase away. And I don't know if within a few days, weeks, I began to craft a song around it. And so the, the first verse starts starts off with that. You know, I don't want to stuff these tears. I don't want to hold back years. I just want to let them go. I just want to let them flow. Um, I don't want to walk away from my fear and shame. I just want to be set free, loose these chains on me. And then the chorus comes in and it's, I just want to feel. And live, live what's real, you know, loose these chains, find my way, live what's real and learn how, learn how to feel. And it's interesting because that song has been one that I think people have really resonated with when they listen to the project. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, they can. It's available. It's on, you know, Apple Music and iTunes and Spotify. If the easiest way to kind of get to it is uh, if you just go to you keep hope alive dot here now. Dot com. So it's H E A R. You keep hope alive. Here now.com. Or you can go to our website, uh, Paxson and Allison.com, P A X S O N uh, and Allison.com. And it's, you can find it there as well. Uh, do we have your permission, Paxson, to play a piece of that song? Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Well, that's how we'll do it as we close out this section. It's been mm. so great. Uh, to talk with you, Paxson. Absolutely. You got to. Yeah. I appreciate you and and all that you're doing with recovery, guys. Really do. Well, Paxson, thank you so much, so much for, again, making time and sharing, uh, you know, so freely uh, with us and with our listeners. And I know that there are people out there that are going me too right at this very moment. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. All right. Well, listeners, hang on and enjoy this piece of feel. I don't want to stuff these tears I don't want to hold back years I just want to let them go I just want to let them flow I don't want to walk away From my fear and shame I just want to be set free Loose these chains on me I just want to feel Live what's real Loose these chains Find my way Live what's real And learn how, learn how to feel this pain aside Lord you know my needs You are holding me I can boldly come Safely be undone At your throne of grace In this holy place I just want to feel Live what's real Loose these chains Find my way Live what's real And learn how, learn how to feel
your throne of grace in this holy place. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And Nate, I am so, um, I, I'm, I am rejuvenated by hearing uh, Paxson recount his story to us because I remember those days, I remember those conversations and the times he would call, you know, intermittently and mm-hmm. um, just kind of filling me in on where life was and, and where it was going. And I really admire his, his positivity about um the 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 two worlds that uh some find themselves in bridging the church and recovery yeah. and um and all of that because um that can be for some people like you mentioned a deterrent and I just love his perspective I love his really um positive perspective that he's not looking at this in an either or lens yeah uh, it was that was a it was a wonderful conversation. I I felt my mood improve. Uh, <laughs> Good. I really did. <laughs> and part of, it, part of it is, part of it is, um, I think because I was hanging out with another guy with a story like mine who, uh, you know, we can, we can, we can enjoy a shared reality. Yeah. 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 Well, that that was a great a great time, and I, I so appreciate anybody you know that wants to um, share their story and is willing to share their story in such really honest, raw terms at, at times. And uh, and so you know, I, yeah. I'm hoping that our listeners will take advantage too of listening uh, and looking for their project because they put a lot of heart and work into that, and uh, and and it's and it's going to be. I think a real encouragement to a lot of folks. So, yeah, I will find the particulars on that project and post them along with the show notes at Podbean for those yeah. who want to go there. If they yeah. had a difficult time finding it on their own. Yeah. All right. Hey, well, David, tell us about our sponsor here before. We yeah, start. we're going to mention our sponsor here again, and that is uh, BetterHelp. Try BetterHelp.com, and that's BetterHelp, H E L P.com. And again, this is an online professional, uh, counseling service, therapy service. Uh, these are licensed professional therapists that you can access 24 hours a day. And if you will log on to trybetterhelp.com slash positive sobriety, you'll get 10% off of the first month of your care. And, uh, the, one of the great things about what they're doing is that they are, matching you with someone that is well suited to you that you can see over uh, more than once that you can see regularly if you would like. And if you're feeling like the match isn't quite right, you can get another therapist and they will match you with someone else. And um, this is an opportunity for us to access good mental health and uh, break some of these stuck patterns in our lives without even having to leave our home, which in this day and time is uh, kind of an important feature. And yeah. uh, so I am excited that they are, uh, you know, part of our positive sobriety family. So everybody remember, try betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety and take advantage of some opportunities to uh, really avail yourself to some good mental health. Okay. Well, as always, it's been a it's been a great time together, David. I really look forward to Thursdays. Thursdays ah, typically, and that's the day we usually record this conversation. Uh, we've got more in the hopper, more coming up. Great we stuff. Do. Great people. There's there's no end to the supply of positive sobriety. Uh, Until bit. next time, I'm Nate. I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich, uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe <laughs> by Kathy Gifford. 